the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. But understand this, false teachers cannot give you freedom from sin. The cults cannot do that. Liberals cannot do that. Charismatic leaders who preach only a health and prosperity gospel, they cannot do that. Only Jesus Christ can set you free. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is taking us on a guided tour through 2 Peter chapter 2, and we are nearly at the end of our journey. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, we bring you to the second part of a three-part message that will conclude our study of the dangers of false teachers. Helen Keller said, Security does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Well, I think you could say the same thing about freedom, at least the way most of us imagine freedom. Still, a lot of people would have us believe that they know the way to freedom when, in fact, They want to lure people into even more oppressive bondage to sin. We Americans love our freedom, and we have more than most people on this planet ever had. But really, no one is ultimately free. The Bible says we are either slaves to our sin nature or slaves to Jesus our Savior. Frankly, I'd rather have Jesus as my master. He said that his yoke is easy. Here's Pastor Steve now to tell us more about the difference between the pseudo-freedom peddled by false teachers and the true freedom found only in Christ. The moment you placed your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, God gave you a new nature. It's called the divine nature. You're not the same person anymore. You have not been reformed. You have been transformed. You have received in one sense a real you, a new you. Uh, a, a new nature that drives you. And this new nature gives you a new desire to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. That's why you want to please him. You have a new nature, but not only does that new nature give you a desire to please him, it'd be very frustrating if you only had a desire to please him, but didn't have the power to please him by obedience. But that's why Peter uh, closes verse four with the, the last phrase that says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In other words, we don't live by our lusts anymore. Yeah, we struggle at times with them, The grace of God has transformed us. This is precisely what Paul meant when he wrote to Titus in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now watch this. He says, instructing us. This is what the grace of God instructs us to do, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. So rather than, than seeing grace as a freedom to sin, The Bible teaches that when you experience God's grace and you understand that he has forgiven you all of your sins, you don't want to continue in sin. You don't want to continue in sin and offend God. You love God. When we do sin, we confess it and we repent, but that's not where we want to be. In response to his grace, you obey him and and you please him out of gratitude for all that he's done for you. 
Why would you want to sin against this love? It's only an unregenerate, unsaved person who would twist the grace of God into sin, which is exactly what the false teachers were doing. They were saying you can live any way you choose. You want to live sexually free. You can live that way. That was the message of the false teachers in Peter's day. They taught a message that promised their followers freedom from sexual restraints. But the irony of this all, and it really is ironic, is that the false teachers were not free themselves. Notice, notice the, the end of verse 19. He says, or the middle, it says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. They gave people these grandiose promises that if they followed their teaching, they would be free. But Peter says, hey, they weren't even free themselves. They're enslaved. They were enslaved, folks, to their own immoral lusts. And that's why Peter closed verse 19 with a proverb, which is a general truism. For by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. In other words, far from being free, these men have been mastered by their own lusts. Whatever masters you is your master. You're enslaved. Whatever overcomes you, you're a slave to it. Now this brings up a very important issue, one that is extremely relevant and applicable for all of us. What exactly does it mean for us as believers in Jesus Christ to be free? What does it mean to be free? What exactly did Jesus mean when he said in John 8, 30, 36, if the son shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. The world would tell us that freedom means to be able to do whatever you want to do. We have to have freedom of speech. We have to have freedom of this. We have to have free. I can do whatever I want. Freedom to do as I see fit. But folks, that is just not what the Bible means by freedom. Freedom to do our own thing is the very essence of sin. It's the essence of sin to be able to do what you want to do. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The freedom to go our own way is not true freedom. We think it's freedom, but it's not. See, before coming to Christ, all of us were slaves of sin, our own sin. I'd like you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. I think Ephesians chapter 2 verses uh, 1 through 3 are some of the most important verses in all the Bible because they explain to us what we were really like before coming to faith in Christ. And the contrast is the mercy and grace of of God. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, this was true of all of us before salvation. And you, he says, were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't kicking. You were dead. You were completely dead, unresponsive. You didn't have a little bit of life and you weren't a little bit depraved. You were dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You walked like everybody else doing your own thing. According, he says, to the prince of the power of the air. What we did was just what Satan wanted us to do, even if we didn't personally believe in, a, in, a, in the devil. Of the spirit, he says, that's now working in the sons of, of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh. Now, you may say, but I didn't, I didn't live like that. Yeah, but you thought like that, even if you didn't live like that. And that's why the next statement is, and of the mind. Even if you didn't do those things outwardly, you did them in your mind. And we were, watch this, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. We were by nature children of wrath. 
We were in bondage. We were not free. We were in bondage to our own nature, a nature that brought God's wrath upon us. We didn't have freedom. We didn't have the freedom to obey God. See, people think that, well, I'm, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. No, but an unsaved person is not free because they cannot obey God. They can't do it. They may do some outward behavior that, that looks good, but it's totally uh, wrong in terms of motivation. They can't please God. Paul says in Romans 8, they are at enmity with God. The natural man can't please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We did not have the freedom to obey him because we didn't have the power or the desire to do what he wanted us to do. No unregenerate person wants to please God. They don't. They may want to do some behavior to make their conscience feel good, but not to please and glorify God. We were only free, and note this, only free in the sense that we could make choices within the realm of sin. That's the only freedom we had. Freedom within the, the realm of sin, it looked to us like we were free. It looked like we could do whatever we wanted to do, but we couldn't. Only within that realm of, of sin, we made certain choices. We couldn't break out of that. But when Jesus Christ saved us, we were set free from the bondage of a rebellious sin nature. And now we're free to obey God. And you know what? We're free to disobey him. But a believer wants to obey him. We are free. In fact, the paradox of the Christian life is that now that we have been set free and we are the only people who are really free because we have been freed from sin, what we do, and here's the paradox, is free men and women, we turn around and willingly become slaves of Jesus Christ. That's why the apostles refer to themselves as bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Free men, bond slaves of Christ voluntarily coming under his lordship, his mastership, if you will. But understand this, false teachers cannot give you freedom from sin. The cults cannot do that. Liberals cannot do that. Charismatic leaders who preach only a health and prosperity gospel, they cannot do that. Only Jesus Christ can set you free. They may tell you, to do whatever you, your little heart desires to do, but that's not freedom because your heart has never been set free to say no to your sinful desires. Only the gospel of Christ can set us free. That's what Jesus meant when he said in John eight thirty two, you shall know what? The truth and the truth shall set you free. It is the truth of the word of God. It is the truth about genuine salvation in Christ. It is the truth about God's grace. It is the truth about our wickedness and our need for salvation. Only the truths of the word can liberate you from a life of bondage to sin. Because only God's word tells us how to be liberated from our own sinful lusts and desires and rebellion. Now, let me give you just a word of caution about those who teach you. Even those who are competent Bible teachers. The false teachers of, of Peter's day gave a message that they couldn't live by. They, they couldn't live by it. They were slaves promising people freedom. Folks, that's nonsense. That's ludicrous. That's absurd. Someone compared it to being a 300-pound man selling diet books. You know, there's something about that that uh, doesn't jive. There's no credibility there. So when you hear someone teach, whether it be in church, whether it be in the pulpit, your Sunday school classes, a, a book that you're reading, the radio, television, whatever, first of all, analyze, is this message biblical? Is that really what the Bible is teaching? But secondly, 
Is there life of such that, that it backs up their message as best you can tell? Do they practice what they preach? This is why the New Testament puts so much emphasis on the character of elders, those who teach the word of God. They need to have credibility, certainly not perfection or or else nobody would be qualified, but they need to be above reproach. They need to be in the ballpark, at least, of, of practicing what they preach because that establishes credibility. We not only teach by our words, we teach by our life as well. So understand that. But false teachers don't do that. In fact, they can't do that because they are unregenerate men who are enslaved to their sin nature. And to prove that that false apostate teachers are slaves to their sin nature, that they have never been born again, even though they may use religious terminology that you're familiar with and they can talk a good talk, they are unregenerate men. Peter, to prove that to us, closes the chapter by stressing the spiritual status of these men. Listen, they're not just sincere, they're not sincere men who, as I told you before, are a little bit off. They are enslaved to their sin because they are unregenerate men. And this really is the enslavement of corruption that Peter has been talking about. And he, he verifies this, affirms it in verses 20 and 21. For if, and here's his uh, explanation, clarification, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment hands it on to them. It's important to understand you look at these verses that he's referring here to the false teachers, not to those who are following. Some interpret it that way, but that's, that's not the case. The whole chapter deals with false teachers. He's, he's sort of bringing this to a climax. He's not about to change gears as he closes the chapter and, uh, and shift into another emphasis. He's been talking about the false teachers. This is a reference to false teachers. And Peter reveals that these false teachers are really apostates, which means that they at one time appeared to be believers in Christ. They said they believed in him. But now they've rejected the faith. It's First John 2.18. It's the same thing where John says uh, that, that they were once, they looked to be of us, but they removed themselves from us, that it might be evident that they are not of us. They've rejected the faith. But I want you to notice how Peter describes these men and how closely they resemble genuine Christians. See, the purpose of this chapter is to help us to be wise and not naive. You need to understand this. Peter describes them this way. First of all, he says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world. And it's not a thought here like they maybe did. They did escape the defilements of the world. At some point in their past, these men had some kind of religious experience. No question about it. And this religious experience brought a change in their lifestyle. That's what I want you to see. They did make changes. They no longer behave like pagans. On the outside, they look just like Christians, real Christians. In fact, they were so convincing that everyone in the church thought they were real Christians. They made them teachers in the church. And they could even date the change in their behavior to an understanding about Jesus Christ. Notice the next phrase. For after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these men knew the gospel. Could you imagine? They, they understood that Christ had died for their sins. Now, I want to think about that with you for a moment and raise this question. Is it possible for a person to know 
that Christ died for their sins to say they believed at one time in Jesus Christ to have some kind of outward change in behavior, put away old sinful habits, and yet not really be a Christian? Absolutely. That's exactly what Peter is saying. It is possible. It happens because that's Peter's teaching here. He's telling us that these people had a head knowledge of Christ. That is to say that they accepted intellectually Christianity. They embraced intellectually the facts of Christianity without making them personal, without applying them to their own lives. In other words, this kind of person knows the truth, but they never make a commitment to the truth. There's never a submission to the truth in Christ's lordship. And the changes that occur in their life, and they are real changes, but they're, they're, they're all outward stuff. They're, they're reforming stuff. It's, they're no different than New Year's resolutions just outward changes. There's never an inward transformation of character. And folks, that's the difference between an unregenerate person and a true believer. A true believer, if you're a true believer, your character's been changed. And how do you know your character's been changed? Your motives have been changed. You have a different motivation. You want to please the Lord. You want to obey him. You have a different value system than before. Your values have have changed. Your values are coming into conformity to the word of God. Your desires to please the Lord, your intents, all of that, your ambitions, all comes under the authority of the word of God. Whatever God says, that's the direction of your life. Even if there are struggles along the way, and who doesn't struggle with that? But that's the difference. With an apostate, the changes in his life are all surface. They're they're superficial. They're, They're just outward stuff. They're the type of people who will tell you when you bring it to their attention all the things that they don't do now as if that proves that they're believers. I mean, I've had people say that to me. Well, I don't, I don't smoke anymore. I don't, I don't drink anymore. Listen, the Pharisees didn't smoke or drink either. What does that prove? But what, what do you do in terms of your character? I think the classic example of someone like this, a, a true apostate, is Judas Iscariot. And I bring him up because Judas, I think, will help to illustrate what an apostate really is like. Did Judas have knowledge of Jesus? Absolutely. He was with him for three years. We could say he even knew Jesus. He didn't love him. He didn't submit to him, but he knew him. He listened to the Lord's teaching, but he never really accepted them. He never submitted to them in his heart. His primary concern was for the honor and riches he thought he would obtain in the coming kingdom. But when it became apparent that Jesus was not going to establish his kingdom right now, and that the only thing ahead of Christ was the the cross, crucifixion, suffering, then, then Judas split. He was out of here. Judas turned then against Christ. He betrayed him for what was most important to him, what was always the most important thing to him, and that's money. Did Judas experience any change as a result of being with Jesus? Absolutely. He must have because all the other disciples, the apostles, thought he was one of them. Nobody thought Judas was anything other than an apostle. In fact, they so trusted him that they gave him the honor of keeping track of the money. He was the treasurer. You don't do that with somebody you think is a phony. In fact, let me let me blow your minds with this. He was even involved in what we would call Christian service. Jesus sent the apostles out to cast out demons, to do miracles, and Judas was one of them. So don't be sucked into believing that it must be true because you see somebody uh, who's involved in, in a miracle or the supernatural. Judas did that. That doesn't validate that it's real. 
It's of God. But he was never a believer, never a believer. He was an apostate who pretended to believe in Christ for what he could get out of him, but he was never committed to the Lord. In fact, we know he was never a believer because of the strong statements Jesus made about him. Jesus said in John 6, 7, he called Judas a devil. John 6, 7, that's, that's fairly early in his ministry. In John 17, verse 12, he called him the son of perdition, which means the son of destruction. And he said to the father, I've lost none who you've given me except the son of perdition, meaning that Judas was lost to begin with. Jesus never lost him because he never had him. Jesus told his disciples one day, all of you are clean, but one. That was Judas. He was an unregenerate, lost man, an apostate, just like the false teachers that Peter was referring to. They too had some changes in their outward behavior that resulted from having some intellectual knowledge about Christ, but these changes were only temporary because eventually they returned to their old way of life. That's that's just what the parable that Jesus gave about the sower. It's just temporary, just temporary. Notice verse 20 again. He says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. In other words, they are worse off now after rejecting Christianity than they were before they ever claimed to be Christians. What an incredible statement. Now, how does this work? How could someone be worse off? Well, you should know this. There are two tragic consequences for a person who sits in church and claims to know Christ but has never been saved. There's a great danger to coming to church if you don't know Christ. That may not encourage you to invite your friends, but I'm going to be faithful to the word of God and tell you about this. Number one, according to Peter, a person like this, when they walk away from Christianity, and he's talking about one who first claims to know Christ and then walks away, they become more entangled with sin than ever, more enslaved to sin than they were before. And I think what he's talking about here is there is a hardness of sin that, that, that creeps in. There is a, a, a new hardening. Their, their, their hearts are stonier and rockier than ever to, to the gospel. In fact, they are so hardened to the truth that Hebrews chapter 6, and I believe this is the kind of people that uh, the writer was referring to, says that it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. That's how hard they have become. Hebrews chapter 6 confuses a lot of people, and they think that, oh, the writer is saying that a, a saved person can be lost. No, he's talking about a person who has the highest level of enlightenment, who has even experienced something short of salvation, if that person at that level turns their back on Christ, then then the writer tells us that it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. They'll never be saved. Never. They have so hardened their hearts that they will never have it softened again. And I really believe that is the uh, the point and the meaning of what Jesus was referring to about the unpardonable sin in Matthew chapter 12. There are a lot of Christians who are very worried that they've committed the unpardonable sin. Let me tell you, a Christian cannot commit the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is the sin of ultimate rejection of Christ. It is this type of sin. It is a hardening of one's heart. And the context there is the Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders, saw all the miracles of Christ, saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him perform miracles, cast out demons. Their conclusion was he was demonic. 
That's a hardened heart. And Jesus said, every other sin will be forgiven if you really come to believe in me, but not this sin, because this sin indicates that you'll never come to me. You've made your ultimate decision. That's the great danger. Great danger. And that's what Peter is talking about. They're worse off now than they were before because now they're hardened. At least before there might have been an openness, but now they're hardened. There's a second tragic consequence for a person who sits in church, claims to know Christ, but hasn't been saved. And it says, and I'm not sure that Peter in this setting is referring to this, but certainly the rest of the word of God brings this out. And he may very well in verse 21 be referring to this, but here's, here's the point. There is a stricter judgment for those who know the truth about Christ and reject it. Not only is life more difficult in terms of the enslavement and the hardness of, of their hearts, but when they die, there is a stricter judgment. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will wrap up this series of lessons about the dangers of false teachers. As you have heard, they are just as dangerous to themselves as they are to their listeners. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're looking for a church home in Clearwater, you might consider stopping by on some Sunday morning. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. And the website is lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we want to say thanks to those of you who are helping fund these broadcasts and praying for us. By the way, you can download any of our previous lessons on the archive page at versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.